0: Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. We're going to jump right on in this morning. Romans chapter 15 and we're going to spend our time in two verses this morning, 26 and 27, and then we're going to turn in, in a little while to 2 Corinthians 9. Uh, we will spend a, a great deal of time uh, in both of these passages as we go back and forth. So if you have a digital Bible, it'll be an easy switch. If you don't, go ahead and put your marker in 2 Corinthians 9, and uh, we'll start in Romans 15, 26 and 27. These are the words of God. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. This morning, uh, we're going to spend our time discussing values and reasons, values and reasons. Every one of us, whether we know this or not, every one of this operates our life according to certain values. And every one of us has a list of reasons. Maybe we have never thought them through. Maybe we can't articulate them. But we all have a list of reasons that uh, inform that value, that kind of uh, create a a foundation for that particular value. For example, as Christians, we uh, value reading the Bible, or at least I hope we value reading the scriptures in this church. Some could value reading the Bible for uh, a rather uh, common reason, and that reason would be tradition. You could value the Bible, uh, reading the Bible for tradition. Mom always did it, Dad always did it, Grandma and Grandpa always did it, and so uh, you're just following in, in line with that. But make no mistake, the value is reading the Bible, and the reason is because you were taught this way. Still others have more of a superstitious reason uh, behind uh, reading the Bible or even owning a Bible. Uh, (laughs) It's quite interesting to me to hear people talk about this, Uh, but the Bible Bible will not, by owning a Bible or by reading the Bible, it will not necessarily make your life go better. How many of you know that? Uh, Especially if it's collecting dust on a shelf, Nathan Daniels. I was, that was a joke, but anyway, that was, a, that was a joke. But owning a Bible, reading a Bible, that's not, what, that's not where it's at, right? Um, we, have to, we have to begin to study this, uh, this uh, book that has been written to us, this inspired writing that has been given to us. You could be an atheist and own 10 Bibles and even read the Bible, but it won't change anything about you unless you submit to the author of the Bible or the one who has redeemed humanity. The Bible is not a rabbit's foot church, but neither is a rabbit's foot for that matter. So the Bible is not a rabbit's foot. Still others might say that their reason is because they're earning their way to God. Now, of course, nobody's going to say it that way, but they definitely mean it. It's a kind of man-made religion. It's not to be confused with pure and undefiled religion. By the way, God loves religion. Pure and undefiled religion. That is to take care of the widows, the orphan, and the poor. In other words, that is to be Jesus to the people around you in this life. God does not have the 21st century uh, church's problem. He doesn't hate religion. (laughs) It is us. We are the ones who have believed that nonsense and that lie. So so God loves what he has set us out to do. But if you're reading the Bible to make Jesus love you, it's man-made religion. It's a pseudo-spiritual checklist that you've checked off so that you can feel like you can enter the pearly gates one day. That value is reading the Bible. The reason is absurd. <laughs> you cannot make your way to God. Although these may have been the starting point for many of us, how many of you would say, that? yeah. I, I relate to some of those. those. Those started me off. I had a bit of a superstition. I had a bit of a, a, a complex. I thought I was earning God's favor. Although we start off this way, if we have done any legitimate study of that Bible uh, along the way, if we've, if we've really learned anything in the value of reading the Bible, we will have learned that there are scriptural reasons for this amazing value. There are scriptural reasons for this. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. If you're a note taker, write it down. You don't have to uh, traverse through your scriptures uh, with these points. But uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that the man or woman of God might be adequate, equipped for every good work. If you've studied your scripture for any length of time, you may have even connected Ephesians 2.10 with this concept. Ephesians 2.10 says that we, as Christians, are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's what we were made for, church. For good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So, what's our value, Reading the Word of God. In reading the Word of God, we've discovered reasons that the Word of God is inspired, the Word of God is profitable, the Word of God equips us for every good work, and the work that it equips us for is the work we're called to do. Now, that's a reason. That's a reason. And listen, I want to encourage you to study the Scriptures because the reasons I've just given you are a drop in the bucket. The scriptures tell us that there are infinite reasons for why we should hear the voice of our creator God. I love this statement. I heard it a long time ago. I've used it a lot. Uh, some, how many of you right now would say you want to hear God's voice? Raise your hand if you want to hear God's voice. Awesome. It's the best way to read, uh, hear God's voice. Read the Bible. Okay. If you want to hear him audibly, read it out loud. But <laughs> you can hear God's voice if you actually read God's word. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about, or uh, come over to the church. I'll read it to you. Yeah. Okay. It, it's fine by me, and you'll and you'll hear what God has to say. But today we're going to talk about another value, and we're going to talk about seven reasons behind that particular value. And the value and the reasons that I'm going to talk to you about today. This is we've had a good morning so far but it's about to take a shift, right? The value and the reasons that I'm going to talk about are the most beloved topic that a pastor can ever preach on. You ready for it? Giving. I didn't get any amens. Tina's ready to rock it. Amen. Woo! I love this. I know exactly what many of you are thinking. I know exactly what you're thinking. Right off the bat, you're going, Oh, pastor in a money talk. I'm really glad I invited my friends for this nonsense. <laughs> pastor in a money talk. But listen to me the reason people are leery of a pastor in a money talk is the very reason I need to give the message. Because we don't either have the value of giving or we have all kinds of uh, ridiculous reasons why that. That uh, value is there. Or maybe we've ruled out all kinds of reasons for that value. People need to hear, when it comes to giving, we need to hear biblical values met with biblical reasons. We've all been abused. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for some amens here in a second. We've all been abused by made-up values, haven't we? And we've all been manipulated by self-serving reasons, haven't we? I don't think everybody's really listening to me yet. We've all been manipulated by self-serving reasons, haven't we? Let's get Dave McCarthy to actually amen. He's, I, thought, I think he was sleeping over there, but here's the deal. It's my conviction that when we hear godly values and we couple those with godly reasons, we will not only accept the value, but we will do so gladly. We will do so joyfully, church. We will do so jumping up and down. Maybe not at first, but we will do so jumping up and down. So here, here's a little bit of context for you. Uh, the, Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, Romans 15, 26, and 27, which is where we're spending our time this morning. He wrote this letter to the Romans from a well known city that we all, under, we all know, and that is the city of Corinth, okay? Uh, he wrote this this uh, letter on in Corinth, but he wrote it on his third missionary journey. This is just an important piece of uh, context. Scripture gives us a lot of detail on all three of Paul's missionary journeys. In Acts 15 and 16, the Apostle Paul is coming back from his very first missionary journey, and he's about ready to embark on his second. The first missionary journey ends in a meeting. That's like most of us at work, right? You know, It it ends and we're like, oh yay, wrap the day up with a meeting. So it ends with this meeting. It's the Jerusalem Council. And this council was assembled to address a problem in the church already in the first century. And the problem was a group of people called the Judaizers. This group had come into the church and they had began to teach that unless Jew and Gentile alike, unless you were circumcised and adhered to all the laws of Moses you could not be saved. So this is one of those ideas where it is, we're saved by works and Jesus' blood. But the scripture tells us, so that it's in accordance with grace, we are saved by grace through what, church? Faith. We are saved by trust, and that is all. So we can see the clear problem. Paul's second missionary journey starts off a little bit like most of your family vacations with a and probably for the same reason, uh, with a heated dispute, okay? <laughs> Scripture says there was a sharp disagreement. In Acts chapter 15, it was between the Apostle Paul and a man named Barnabas, and it was over another individual. I see wives slapping their husbands. This is great, right? Okay, so Paul and Barnabas, and it's over a man named John Mark. The problem, as Luke records it, so remember that Luke is the one writing the book of Acts, as Luke records it is that John was supposed to show Show up for a particular mission, but John didn't show up for the particular mission. Okay, so what's happening here is that Paul feels that John is unreliable. It's important to note that that they weren't divided over doctrinal issues. It's also important to know they weren't divided like like the contemporary church. John Mark didn't get miffed at Paul and Paul at John Mark, and John went down and started the uh, first church of procrastination. That's not what happened here, okay? They weren't divided over doctrinal issues. This was a practical matter. Later on, Paul and Barnabas are reunited, and Paul calls for John Mark to be sent to him because he says he's valuable to him. So we actually see a a fair resolution, which again, uh, I, I sadly see that it doesn't play out that way in the modern church. I'm only saying this to tell you that disagreements happen in the church. Can I get an amen? Okay, disagreements happen in the church. But in the first century, we're not talking about a point of division that caused the church to fall apart. These two men believed each other to be believers and they believed each other to be friends. Make sure you understand that. We get in all kinds of disagreements, don't we? We get into all kinds of matters where we go, you know what, I really needed to trust you in this moment, and you let me down. That should not be the cause for you to fly to another church, to take a flight, right? It should not be the reason why you run. Now, the purpose of Paul's second missionary journey is also plainly stated in Scripture, and that is that it was meant to strengthen the churches. We see this in 15 and in 16. This strengthening happened two ways, and I want you to see these two ways. First, Paul is going out to deliver the council's decision. Because the Judaizers didn't just uh, teach a foreign doctrine. They were really unsettling the people that they were teaching. Think about it. If if. if You heard somebody say that the gospel is you are saved by grace through faith, but then somebody else who looks really professional comes down the pike and says you're not saved by grace through faith. You're saved as long as you're circumcised. You're saved as long as you have done all of these things. That would cause you to question your faith. And our faith is trust, and our trust has to be in Jesus alone. It is in God. It is in what he has done. It is in his work. And so when we start to look at our work as the reason for our salvation, we're on shaky ground, shaky ground in that moment. So Paul wants to strengthen the churches, and one, by easing the mind of those who've been stirred up by the Judaizers. Second, in chapter 16, he wants to strengthen the church by preaching the gospel, They're going to be increased in number daily, Luke records, uh, every day that they go out and preach the gospel. And he couples this with strengthening in chapter 16. What a powerful idea. Well, this explains what happens next. The mission of the gospel and growing the church by preaching Jesus is what strengthens the church. This is powerful. Acts chapter 16, verses 9 and 10. A vision appeared to Paul. In the night, and a man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, and saying, come over to Macedonia to us. Verse 10, when he had seen the vision, immediately we, this is Paul, Silas, Luke, and most likely Timothy, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The strengthening of the church happens when the gospel is declared, and more come to faith. The reason that I bring this out is because this is the first Macedonia and Achaia ever hear of Jesus. This is when churches are planted. What a powerful idea. So what Paul is about to do has everything to do with spiritual blessing, the gospel being sown into uncharted territory. We learned about the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans that he didn't go to certain places because he didn't, want to, uh, he didn't want to build on another man's foundation. How many of you remember that from a couple of weeks ago? He didn't want to build on another man's foundation. So he wanted to go where, to places where nobody had heard about Jesus. And at this point, Macedonia is one of those places. So a quick geography lesson. Macedonia and Achaia, Romans 15, 26, and 27, are both what are called districts in this time. We might call them regions, but they call them districts then. And inside the district of Macedonia, the Bible records uh, that there is a leading city inside of that district. And that leading city happens to be a Roman colony. Do you know what that leading city was? Philippi. So when we hear the term Macedonia, when we hear Paul talking about Macedonia, he is at least talking about the church in Philippi. But Thessalonica is also a famous city to us, Bible readers. Thessalonica is also within Macedonia. So when the Apostle Paul begins to talk about Macedonia throughout the whole book of Acts, you can connect the dots he is connecting the dots. You should connect the dots. He is referring to the church in Philippi and the church in Thessalonica. What's amazing is it's the second missionary journey that before these churches are ever in existence. So the blessings of Jerusalem, the blessings of the gospel are going out for the first time into certain areas. Now I also told you that Achaia was a region... And it has a familiar city in it too. And that city is the exact city from which Paul is writing the letter to the Romans. It's Corinth. So Achaia is this district and Corinth is sitting right in the middle of it. My point in sharing all of this is that Philippi, Thessalonica, and Corinth are all products of the Apostle Paul's mission. They're all products of the church in Jerusalem who sent the Apostle Paul, which means they are the recipients of the spiritual blessings that we're going to learn about here in just a second. So spiritual blessings are emanating from Jerusalem, the gospel is, because it's the epicenter of Christianity. Okay, so now what about this great value of giving, Nathan, and what about these, uh, these reasons? Well, read again with me, Romans 15, 26 and 27. For Macedonia and Achaia, who is that church? Philippi, Thessalonica, and Corinth. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints. Notice that. It is not a contribution to the poor. Full stop. It is a contribution to poor Christians. The poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Should we care for the poor? Yes, but we'll talk about that in just a second. For the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Now look at verse 27. It's going to get to our first reason for the biblical value of giving. And it's going to shock you, I guarantee it. Yes, they were pleased to do so. And they are indebted to them. Underline it in your Bible. Underline it in your Bible. And the next line is going to get even trickier for some of you. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, what is that? It's the gospel, isn't it? The gospel has gone from Jerusalem through the apostle Paul to Macedonia and to Achaia. It's never been there before. They are the recipients. The foundation has been laid in spiritual matters because of the gospel. And he says this, for if the Gentiles have shared in their Jerusalem spiritual things, they are, there's our word again, indebted to minister to them. And here's the part that just makes everybody squirm. Also in material things. Some people don't have a value for giving in any any material sense because they go, nope, spiritual benefits, spiritual return, spiritual benefits, spiritual return. The Apostle Paul looked at them right in the eye and said, you benefited spiritually, you owe them, and you might as well get out your checkbook. Make sure there's a routing number on that. First bank of Corinth, okay? So this is, this is an amazing idea, and it really becomes tricky for us to actually embrace. But this is what the Bible says, not what Nathan is saying. The value that we are talking about is giving, but the reasons are sevenfold. Number one, indebtedness. And yes, you heard me right. The Apostle Paul says that the Macedonians and the Achaeans, the Philippians, the Thessalonians, and the Corinthians were indebted to Jerusalem the gentiles that's all three of those places shared in jerusalem's spiritual things paul had planted every one of these churches as i just said they benefited in spiritual things but were indebted in more than just spiritual things they were indebted also in material matters this ministry of material things or the value of giving was extended to the needy the poor among the saints in jerusalem But some of you are going, ah, it only goes to the poor, Nathan. I don't want to hear any more of your stuff. Uh, Not so much. It went to Paul, and it went, as we're going to see in a second, to all other matters that the church needed at the time. Wow, this is staggering stuff. And we're squirming. We're squirming because we look at it and we go, I'm I'm not sure sure I really like this. But let me say something before I continue to make you squirm. Okay? Before I continue to make you squirm, here's a, a beautiful thing about our church. We have a whole lot of really good givers in this church. We have a lot of good givers not because they're giving out of compulsion or obligation or pressure. You know why they're not giving out of compulsion or pressure or obligation? Because I don't preach on money. <laughs> you amen me too much there, <laughs> right? right? I, don't, I don't preach on money. You can't remember the last time I gave a message on money because I can't remember the last time I gave a message on money. There's another principle that I want you all to understand, and maybe it's why there's such freedom in the giving in this church right now. And that is, the one thing that I do not do as a pastor is I do not look at individual giving records. Do you know why I don't look at individual giving records? not because I don't care about you, not because I don't care about the blessings that you will receive, and I'm not talking prosperity nonsense here, but the blessings that you will receive if you sow, because we're gonna to get to that as a principle, the reason for that is so that I can stand in front of you every Sunday morning, look you square in the eye, and know that I am not thinking about you. I am simply preaching a biblical principle, and I want you to hear it. And I don't want you to feel guilt from me or condemnation from me. I have no right to do it anyway, right? That's the Spirit of God's job. That's the Word of God working in your heart. So I don't preach about giving, not because it's not in there. We're at Romans 16, 15, and it just so happened to show up, so I guess I got to deal with it, okay? But I want you to understand, I don't look at those things because I love you. I don't want you to think, yeah... He's got me right in his crosshairs today. No, if you're in anybody's crosshairs, it's called Jesus. <laughs> okay, so there you go. Philippians chapter 4, verse 15 through 17. The ministry of material things, that's the value of giving, was extended to the needy, to Paul and to others. Philippians 4:15 through17. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia. So let's translate that, church. After I left all y'all, after I left your region, after I left your district, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. After I left you, you were the, you were the, the people. Now look what he says here, and there's an importance to this. He says, for even in Thessalonica, that's part of you, right? Even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Maybe Thessalonica didn't understand the principles of giving yet. Maybe they were a new church and didn't understand it. But even when Paul went from Philippi to plant the church in Thessalonica, they sent him money and they sent him resources. They sent him food most likely too to make sure that he was taken care of during this great missionary journey. Verse 17. Now this is a hard thing, hard pill to swallow for people to hear from a apostle or especially from a pastor look what he says he says not that I seek the gift itself but I seek for the profit which increases to your account and you know what we say we say I don't believe you (laughs) I don't believe you pastor in a money talk this is all about you this is all about you no and I'll tell you why The reason why he doesn't seek the gift itself is because Paul has a deep and profound trust that God will provide for him. Paul is not wavering in his faith. What he is actually concerned about, and this is what I'm concerned about with you, is that you will reap what you sow. It's not an Old Testament principle alone. It is a New Testament principle. I hope, 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 that you will take giving seriously because God has things planned. God is doing things through you. Now, you can believe me or you, can't. you don't have to believe me, right? I understand that trust is earned. I understand that you can look at me and go, man, he's no way. I'm not doing it. It's just a guy wanting money. That's fine. You, you can think what you want of me, but you can't think what you want of the word of God. Wrestle with it. Please wrestle with what God says. So, the concept of indebtedness, let's just keep firing through this. The concept of indebtedness or owing something is not foreign to Scripture. In Galatians 6.6, 6, here's what we read about, uh, about spiritual sowing and even material uh, sowing back or giving back. Verse 6 of Galatians 6. The one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches him. It doesn't say he ought to. It says that he must. What a a fascinating idea. And then we miss that next line. It says he must share all good things. All. Well, isn't that a tricky thing? Okay, now, uh, Jerry likes to fish, okay? I don't like to fish. I was ruined fishing when I was a kid. It just never went well, okay? Uh, plus, I'm still bitter about this. I threw a Snoopy fishing pole into a lake one time, and I couldn't get it back, and my heart was broken forever, okay? In the first, in the first listen to me, in the first three years of this church, I, I, I told that story at least three times, and somebody bought me a Snoopy fishing pole. I still have it. I still have it. I'm not going fishing with Jerry with it, but the point is, the point is Jerry loves fishing, I don't. Blessings with all things would be him finally giving me some of the fish he catches. I'm just throwing that out there. Anyway, okay. So, so blessings of all things you knew, I was going to tie that in somewhere. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 17 and 18 it says this. That the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. Well, good. We'll just honor them. (laughs) No, 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 no. Especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. I'm so glad Jesus calls me an ox. Anyway, so you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. But look at what he parallels that with. He says, the labor is worthy of his wages. Do you see that? There are a lot of churches in America right now that are struggling, okay? They're struggling, and here's why I actually think they're struggling. I don't think they're struggling because people don't want to have good values and good reasons. I think all people do. If you told people the value of giving with good, solid biblical reasons, I think you'd have a whole lot more buy-in inside of the churches. But I don't think correct values and reasons have been communicated. I think manipulation is what has been laid out there. And one of the reasons why a lot of small churches are struggling is because people don't value giving, and they don't value it for the reason of needing a shepherd to be there all the time. Whether you know it or not, it is a a very, very valuable thing to have. And if you haven't taken advantage of it, if you haven't benefited from it, please call me. Email me. Barney's on staff next week, so not next week, the week after that he's vacationing. Jerk. Anyway, so he's on. Call him, right? Call him. But the, the point, Barney and Mark and I all share the exact same heart, and that is we care for you. We do, deeply. We do. We will make the time. We will sit down. We'll talk through your stuff. I might not have an answer for you, or at least not an answer you like, but... I will work with you. So he goes on. The King James Bible interprets 1 Timothy 5 this way. It says, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox while it is threshing. It's called a negative command in Scripture. Uh, and it's the Ten Commandments. It's the same thing. If Do you think God was serious? Thou shalt not murder? You better all raise your hand or I ain't coming to your house, right? Thou shalt not murder. He also said, thou shalt not muzzle the ox while he's treading out the grain. First Corinthians 9 echoes this point but expands on it. Paul says to the Corinthians, For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? What's the answer, Church. No, he's not concerned about oxen. Maybe he's a maybe he's an animal lover. He created them. But verse 10, or is he speaking altogether for our sake? What's the answer, church? It doesn't matter what you think the answer is. Paul says yes for our sake. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Yes for our sake. It is written because because and listen to the reason. The value is giving. The reason is this. The plowman ought to plow in hope. What kind of hope? The plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher ought to thresh in hope. Of what? Of sharing the crops. Of benefiting from what's going on. Do, do pastors need to make, I'm just going to shoot myself in the foot here. Uh, it's fine by me. The Spirit is working on you guys. That's fine by me. Do pastors need to live in really affluent positions in their life? No. I do not like the idea that pastors, there's an entire website about pastors and sneakers and their high-end sneakers and their high-end this and their high-end that. It really does bother me. It doesn't bother me because I don't think God blesses his people. That's actually an irrelevant point. It bothers me because as a pastor, it is really hard to shepherd people when you can't relate to them. Yeah, do you know that? It's really difficult. Should a pastor be taken care of? Yes, please. Right? Yes, please. Okay. And I got four daughters, so smile. Anyway, I, sorry, I, just, I had to throw that out there. But I don't, I don't like the idea that pastors live in mansions and do those things. I don't like that. And, and, I, and I don't like it for, for many reasons, one of which is also that I think it gives every other pastor a bad name. I think pastor, I think people think pastors are all crooked schemers. You can think that of me if you'd like to think that of me, Dave McCarthy. but But I will tell you this: you can, you can follow my life. you'll see you'll see who I am. You'll see what I care about and what I don't care about. You'll see what matters to me and what doesn't matter to me. Trust me, I 'm an open book. It's all worn on my sleeves. You'll see it eventually. So, okay, so this is not merely spiritual blessings. It's talking about taking care of people. For the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things. They are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Also in material things. Also. It's both and. Giving is a value in the church, and one reason for giving is that we are indebted to those who have shared with us. Now, I know that this is challenging for some of you, but trust me, it makes it hard to preach as a pastor. It makes it very hard because I realize that this sounds self-serving. But I can, you can remove me from the equation if you'd like, and you can, you can forget about me. I simply want you to see that another minister of the gospel who was inspired by God to write the pages of Scripture 2,000 years ago is the one who said these words. He's the one who told the Romans that they were indebted to Jerusalem for these matters last thing on this point notice that when Paul says to the people that they were indebted he gives no disclaimer he gives no disclaimer they understood the value of giving and they understood this particular reason only in the 21st century do we have to spend hours and hours communicating to people that even though we're saved by mercy we're still called to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God aren't we And the same thing applies in every practical area of your life. Listen, church, when we give back to God and we give back to his church, when we do those things, we are not paying him back for our salvation. Here's what we're doing. How many of you know the scripture that says we were bought at a price? Raise your hands real high. We were bought at a price. When you give back to the church, you know what you're doing? You're giving God what belongs to him anyway. You're giving God what he purchased a long time ago. This is true worship according to Romans 12. So, not only did the people not protest or uh, recoil at this idea, they actually were pleased to do so. Reason number one, reason number one, again, what's our reason, church? Indebtedness. Read that, read that word again. Yeah, okay, that's a hard one to read. Reason number two, the value of giving is the joy that, bring, that giving brings. Joy that giving brings. Every one of us knows the adage, it is better to give than to receive, right? Right? But only those who practice it understand that giving provides unspeakable joy. You might be like the widow in her mite in the New Testament. Two pennies is all that you have to your name. But remember what she did. She gave it all. She gave it joyfully. And God said she gave more than anybody else. That's a pretty staggering thing. Church, it's not about the quantity that you give. It's about the generosity of your heart. It's about understanding who it belongs to in the first place. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. God loves a cheerful giver. Can we all smile for a second? I'm going to take a picture of you. No. Okay, God loves a cheerful giver. Please note that there are two things that God loves here. God loves the giver, and he loves the disposition of the giver. If God just loved cheerful people, he would have said that. I like cheerful people. He loves a cheerful giver. If God just loved givers, he would just say, I love givers. I don't really care if you're mad about it or not. He loves a cheerful Giver, those are both important things. There's an action that we're doing, that's giving, and there's a heart condition behind that, and that is joy or cheerfulness. So why does God love a cheerful giver? Why does he love a cheerful giver? Because we reflect the image of our most holy God when we are a cheerful giver. God himself is a cheerful giver. Our call to worship this morning was what? The beginning. John 3.16. For God so what? Loved the world. Do you love uh, without cheer at times? Do you love without cheer at times? Yes, of course you do. Do you think God loved without cheer when he went to the cross? Huh. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he didn't even bat an eye at what was happening here. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us. His own what? His own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, for the joy. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance in the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's obedience to God on all fronts, church. Uh, so so let us run the race with endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is our example, mind you, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was Jesus' good pleasure. It was his joy to give. We should mimic that. It was the Father's good pleasure to give, Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. That's just talking about Jesus, Nathan. Verse 20. It was the Father's good pleasure and through him to reconcile all things to himself. By giving his son on the cross. By dying. By giving. By giving. By giving. By giving. So that you might have life. Giving is a Christian value. Indebtedness and joy are both reasons to give. 2 Corinthians 9 give us more reasons, so turn there, and we're going to wrap everything else up by spending our time in 2 Corinthians 9. Here's what it says, starting at verse 1, for it is superfluous. Can you say that word with me, church? Superfluous. No. (laughs) Say it one more time. Superfluous. I love that term, okay? It's superfluous. It's pointless. For me, okay, listen to what he says, for me to write to you about the ministry to the saints. What does he mean by this? He has utter confidence, even in the Corinthians, that they are going to give what they had promised to give. Verses 2 through 5, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia, who are the Macedonians? Philippi and Thessalonica. Who's Achaia? Corinth. So here's the translation. For I know your readiness which I boast about, boast about you, Corinthians, to Philippi and Thessalonica. Namely, that Corinth has been prepared since last year. You've been ready for an entire year. You made a pledge a year ago and you're going to follow through with it. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case. So that as I was saying, you may be prepared. Why is Paul writing? A reminder. Remember, reminders don't mean you don't know something. It just means that you need to remember the something you know. Verse 4. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, look at what he says here. He says, we, not to speak of you, we will be put to shame by this confidence. We've been bragging about you. We've been telling everybody about you and about your generosity. Verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead of you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift. They promised it before, and it was bountiful. Let's go on. So that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift. You promised a bountiful gift. We're just coming to pick that up. But look at what he says here. And not affected by covetousness. You know what Paul doesn't want to do? Paul doesn't want to show up in Corinth with the gift of the Philippians and the gift of the Thessalonians and have that be the manipulation tool to get Corinth to give more. He doesn't want to look at their giving records. He just wants them to give what's purposed in their heart. Isn't that an amazing idea? He wants them to give not under compulsion, not out of covetousness. Reason number three, we reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. Please hear this, church. Now this I say, verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9. Now this I say, we who sow sparingly, he who sows sparingly, will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Uh Uh-oh, there's that Old Testament reaping-sowing principle in the New Testament. Remember Galatians 6.6 again? Here's what it said at verse 6. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. But look at what, listen to what Paul says in verses 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. That should humble us, church. That should humble us. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. This is both a positive and a negative statement. Look at verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. If you make your life all about you, good luck. If you make your life all about you and not the work of the kingdom, good luck. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit. He doesn't say the one who sows in the Spirit. You sow in material things as well as in spiritual things. He says to the one who, spo- who, uh, the one who sows to the Spirit. Who are we giving to when we give, church? Come on. We're giving to God. So we give to him in the spirit and we will reap spiritual or eternal life. Spiritual things, eternal life. Verse nine, let us not lose heart in doing good. It is hard at times. Giving is hard at times. You look at your bills and you go, oh man, I'm not sure. And God says, give me your heart, I'll take care of you. For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, to who? All people, wow, there's that beyond the poor among the saints. To all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Biblical values and biblical reasons. Reason number four, we give because God gave it to us first. And church, you have to see this. Verses seven through 11. Each one must do, must do, just as he has promised in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. That seems like a contradiction. It's not because you're the one who's purposed it. For God loves a cheerful giver. That's reason number two. Verse eight, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed church listen here's where the prosperity gospel diverges from the actual bible the prosperity gospel says so so that you can reap for you the bible says so so that you can reap so that you can give it all away isn't that an amazing idea we have somehow short-circuited this plan, and we go, I'm given God, I'm given God. When am I going to live high on the hog? When am I going to live happy? When am I going to leave, live free of burden? And God goes, you're going to live in trust, that's it. You're going to live trusting me, that's it. But even if I gave you all the money in China, I want you to give it all away. I want you to love people. I want you to share it with others. Verse 9, as it is written, he scattered abroad. Who scattered, church? God did. He. He gave to the poor. Who gives to the poor? Well, Corinth. They raised the offering for it. No, 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 no. God is the one giving through those people. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, you and I, and bread for food, because he will take care of those things too, will supply and multiply your seed for what? Buying fancy tennis shoes. No, he will supply you seed for sowing and increase. Uh, He will supply you for sowing seed and increasing the harvest of your righteousness. This is sanctification, church. You will be enriched in everything, period. No, 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 no. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. Do you know what that means? God's going to enrich you so you can give it away. Don't short-circuit his plan when you keep being stingy. How in the world can we justify biblical ideas that say God wants us to be generous, just like him, to a point, and then he wants us to be happy? You'll be happy when you are trusting God. Trust me, church. Whatever you purpose to give, it is first given to you as the giver gives it, as God gives it. The real question is do you trust him? This is back to a message from a couple of weeks ago about faith in the chair. The question that I have for you today, church, is as a church, when it comes to giving, are you sitting in the chair? You can trust Jesus for your salvation, that's fine. But my question is, are you trusting Jesus for the seed to sow? It's tricky, isn't it? Yeah, and I see some of you still staring at me. I'll, I'll make friends of you, I promise. I promise. Sanctification is a principle in this too. So just reason five, I'm just going to state it and we'll move on, is growing in righteousness. We are enriched as we give so that we can give more. Reason six, God is glorified. 2 Corinthians 9, 11-13. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing what church? Thanksgiving to God, for the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. It is supplying the needs of the saints, but it is resulting in praise. Because of the proof given by this ministry, Paul speaking for himself here, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ Jesus. What's the context? Because of their contribution. That's why he says, and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. This is not just to the poor saints in Jerusalem. This is to all the Christians. For all the needs that God has for them. Romans, or reason number seven, strengthening your spiritual allies. Look at what it says. They will pray for you and yearn for you. 2 Corinthians 9, 13 through 15. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for all liberality, for your contribution to them all, while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You want a series of people that are praying for you? Just take care of them. Trust me, they'll pray for you. (laughs) Trust me. That's what we do. When we're caring for each other, we're praying for each other. Amen? This is a really important thing. So our value today is what? You haven't listened to me at all. Our value today is what? Giving. Our reasons are sevenfold. Listen, number one, indebtedness. Number two, joy. Number three, we reap what we sow. Number four, we give because God gave it to us first. Number five, we grow in righteousness. Number six, because God is glorified. And number seven, because we strengthen our spiritual allies inside of this kind of giving. The conclusion is this, that there are biblical values in Scripture and there are biblical reasons. Sometimes we've lost those values because, or we've had no values, because people have given us cockamamie ideas. That's a fancy term there, right? Please hear me, church. Bad reasons or no reasons should not prevent you from operating in godly values. Why? Why? Because God wrote you a book. You don't need me to tell you. God wrote you a book. You won't stand before him one day and say, Nathan never told me. Because I'll already be behind God going, not true, (laughs) not true, it's not true. Here's my challenge to you today as the worship team comes up and as Mark and Barney get us ready for communion. Here's my challenge to you today. I want you, I want you to spend time with your family this week and here's what I want you to do in that family time. I want you to search the scriptures and you know what I want you to search the scriptures to find? Biblical values. And while you're there, keep searching the scriptures to find the biblical reasons for those values. And then after you find biblical values and biblical reasons, shoot me an email. Send me an email. Send me a text. Say, you know what I found? Here's what God's word says, and here's why it says it. How do I get there? And we'll start that journey. We'll start that plan. We need to understand biblical values. Where are they found, church? in his word. We need to understand biblical reasons, church. Where are they found? In his word. And we need to live by those in every way. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.